Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands. Today I'm in beautiful Loudoun County at One Family Brewing, talking to the founder, Dave Keener. Thanks for having me out, Dave. Absolutely. So I think um, One Family has kind of an interesting story. Um, one, well, actually, let's first get your background because a little bit of what I read, it sounds like you've done a lot. Uh, so what were you doing before One Family and what led you to this point? Sure. I guess you can say uh, entrepreneur, glutton for punishment. <laughs> I think they both go hand in hand together. Um, I guess if you want to rewind, um, sort of grew up in the hospitality industry. Uh, last, I guess you could say, Endeavor was running a couple of Rooster Steakhouses back in the 90s. Uh, so you could say the, the food and beverage are in the DNA. Uh, but then when you meet your wife and she's like, you're not going to do all this restaurant stuff the rest of your <laughs> life, are you? And I'd like to see you every once in a while and not have you living at a restaurant. Exactly. So uh, I decided to get out. Uh, and then I guess you could say that's where entrepreneurship sort of kicked in is uh, I accepted a, a job at a brand new company uh, called JTech Communications, which um, I'm sure you've probably walked to in a restaurant and they hand you one of those wacky pagers that flashes oh, yeah. and buzzes. Uh, we had invented those things. Uh, and so that was, you know, back in the day of sort of, I guess you could say the beginning of wireless communication uh, with a pager. Uh, and so as that endeavor kept on growing across the country, you know, literally almost a million units um, sold nationwide and around the world um, and eventually left after having a great ride uh, actually the gentleman who founded the company is more like a dad to me uh, he's a mentor of mine and uh, believe it or not he's still in the business um, doing other things within hospitality technology and so uh, have they pivoted to do uh, pay, uh, text messaging systems because I was, I was about to ask you like completely unrelated to what we're talking to but because I, I work in technology okay. also um, I, I feel like those pagers are probably a slowly dying the, thing now the that, sailed. that yes. point of sale systems just have text messaging systems or a hundred percent so you can as far as technology and innovation um, you know that was something that was wow this is way before it's time you press a button and yeah. this thing vibrates this is crazy um so yeah eventually actually that the company was sold and um, believe it or not it was sold to micros corporation which has a point of sale company for restaurants but then micros was sold to oracle uh yeah it's 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 weird like this large large tech companies just own so many little so pieces many little, of everything <laughs> absolutely and they looked at it as that was the heartbeat of the hospitality industry it's so oracle's like well how do we play in that arena you know so um, but after that, uh, I went off and uh, actually ran the East Coast of Sales for uh, and launched this little tiny company called OpenTable.com. Oh, it's just a little thing. Yeah, just and <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. You know, it was in the heyday of um, the venture capital world. You know, OpenTable had raised close to 100 million at that time, and then went off and really sort of told the industry that online reservations were cool. And uh, the industry's like, no, this this isn't cool. Uh, and you know, it really wasn't about the idea of reservations online. It was about collecting data. Uh, data makes us smarter, uh, and it's one of those things that you. How do you monetize? How do you learn from the data? 
Uh, and you know, restaurateurs were like, well, we have this reservation book, you know, we know the guy that wears glasses and has brown hair and he's waiting at the bar for his table. <laughs> and we're like, nah, it's sort of not like that, you know? And so it was really more of introducing new technology, uh, to an industry that, you know, frankly, I love, um, but it was an industry that really had its own challenges. You know, you had the glorified host or hostess or a manager working the front door, uh, and really, how do we learn more about our guest? Uh, so I did that for a couple of years, and then um, it's actually sort of a funny story. And then I went off and helped start a company called Fishbowl. And um, everybody looks, and we've all probably dropped our business card into a fishbowl. Yeah. Uh, and I always joke and said I didn't want a damn thing out of that fishbowl in so many years. And so we took that fishbowl, and we believe that that fishbowl was very good data that as long as a restaurateur could monetize and use that data to their advantage to drive loyalty, frequency, spend, that could, in essence, increase, you know, sales inside of a restaurant and increase, you know, the good feeling and the customers getting known. And um, so we were actually the first company to ever buy a license agreement from DoubleClick uh, to do email marketing in restaurants. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this is, I mean, you know. So, so Fishbowl is kind of just like a digitalization of that actual fishbowl sitting there. Exactly. So we just said, okay, well, how do we take that data and build restaurant by restaurant by restaurant databases to be able to talk to our guests? Uh, not to be annoying, but to talk to them and have fun and to be able to hopefully increase spend and drive people into restaurants. And now fast forward uh, geez, that was 2001. Now fast forward 20 years, how important is that data probably right now as far as, you know, what restaurants and hospitality have been going through for yeah. almost the last year and a half? Is um, kind of related to the pager thing, is open table still a big – or because that also seems like something that's just been tied into local – Yep point of sale systems yeah so open table was originally um so they went public uh and then they were bought by priceline for i think it was two and a half billion dollars jeez yeah and so <laughs> it's a small bit of money hope and you had so, stock options a little bit yeah <laughs> so you know it was with that said um you know i think it was during that time of growing open table and growing fishbowl uh, we saw this opportunity to say, hey, we have this great data um, that can certainly help restaurateurs build their consumer base, build their communications with their customers. And, you know, I mean, I think for a lot of us, it's um, we like to talk to our guests. We want to learn more about them, but how do we deliver and how do we build a relationship with that end consumer that physically has raised their hand and says, hey, we like you. We're willing yeah. to talk to you. But, you know, again, restaurants, as you probably very well know, it's um, front of the house, back of the house. And usually marketing is very small and really sort of like the redheaded stepchild some cases. Yeah, with, it's often just tacked on to someone else's job that they yeah. do it in the... You're the marketing work. guy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they're going, uh, no, I don't, you know, and so... You know what Facebook and Instagram is? You're, <laughs> you're going to do that, okay? And you're going to send a couple of messages. How's that sound? And, you know, I can remember like it was yesterday, you know, roughly about 2002, we walk into the corporate offices of Red Robin in Denver, Colorado, 
And at this point, they had already had over a $2 billion market cap on Wall Street. And we walked in, and there were three people in the marketing department for a company that was worth over $2 billion. That's insane. And so you're, like, looking around going, you guys run everything, TV, radio, all this stuff. And they're going, yeah, it's us. And so we're going, okay, this is there's something wrong with this. But we got it. You know, we understood it just because we were restaurateurs that had been to that place before where you're running around making sure that, you know, the produce just came in and that the guest is happy in the front of the house. And what is that communication? What's the marketing of your establishment? And usually it was the afterthought. Yeah. And and I think another like probably the kind of thought for that, like a huge business like that is that. It's the same thing, like when a company isn't doing well, they so often, those are the budgets they cut, even though that is one of the last things you should cut. The if budget, you're, and they blame them. Yeah. You're going, oh, the marketing. <laughs> so the marketing guy, it wasn't the front of the house, it wasn't the back of the house that didn't yeah. drive sales, it was the marketing guy. Yeah. And you're going, this isn't right. Yeah, that, where we just cut their team in half and give them no budget to work with. Exactly. And you go and drive more sales, please. And then, you know, our one question when we were at Fishbowl the whole time was, well, how do we, you know, how do you, how do you monetize? How do you basically track your marketing dollars? And the general response across the board, I swear to you, I feel like I'm going back in time right now. (laughs) Uh, The general response was, well, we, it's, uh, and it's, we just see a spike in sales. So, Okay. It's not, it's not really how advertising and marketing works, but cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. And so, you know, we looked at it as, well, how can we help you build your database? And you take a chain like uh, Texas Roadhouse as an example. You know, we started working with them, and in a period of three years, they had grown a database of over a million people. Um, when you send a message to a million people, they, they will respond. Yeah, the, the law of averages, you're going to get some sort of response. <laughs> Something will happen. But, you know, and that's the part that we looked at it and say, well, how can we make these restaurateurs smarter by actually using their own data to communicate with guests? And, you know, that was prior to the Facebook worlds, the Twitter worlds, the Instagram worlds. And so... You know, traditional media was so expensive and is so expensive. Yeah. So, you know, we looked at it and said an average restaurant could pay us, I think it was less than $99 a month, and we would handle everything. Wow. (laughs) So that would definitely be attractive. We do the data entry. We do all the messaging, all the reporting. So we went from like five of us sitting in an office on King Street in Old Town Alexander. There were probably more mice in the building than there were humans in the building at one point. Matter of fact, I know there was. <laughs> and we went from five to basically 150 employees in about four years. And, you know, but that day, you know, of 9-11 of what we will be honoring folks here on the property is uh, 9-11-2001, I was supposed to be on the plane that ended up in the Pentagon. Um, but we were a company that, uh, we didn't have any money. Uh, we were chasing every dollar we possibly could trying to grow as fast as we could. And my business partner basically was like, you don't need to spend that money on that flight to go to California, do you? And the flight was like 600 bucks. Cause I was literally going there and back within one day. And I had just a little travel bag with me. And, uh, 
I'm like, no, I don't have to. So I, I say what I did is I took the dreaded three-stop flight on Southwest, and I'm going. And meanwhile, I live right next to the airport. Yeah. And I'm going, man, I got to drive all the way to BWI. It's going to be an hour and a half. It's traffic. It's going to be 4 o'clock in the morning. And I guess in some ways, um, not having money, and I joke all the time, maybe it's that 12 years of Catholic school my mother sent me to, uh, I had sort of a, I guess, an angel sitting on my shoulder, and uh, I canceled my flight and took a Southwest flight because it was like 200 bucks. That That has... That had to have been one hell of a roller coaster of emotions from the looking back on it, thinking like how superficially, I'm guessing you were angry, upset, all kinds of negative emotions about having to switch from that direct flight to oh. what is definitely I consider like a, just a miserable experience of having two layovers are you kidding me you're going you go you know it's bwi nashville nashville houston houston la and you're going i just need to get to los angeles to to get to my meeting and i was actually having our our first ever big corporate meeting with california pizza kitchen <laughs> and i'm going i just got to get there yeah. you know and uh we were in midair um we had already connected in nashville and nothing had happened yet we were in midair and uh, the pilot came on and said, FAA has told us to cease all operations. Uh, we need to land immediately. And, you know, I had, I've traveled a lot. Yeah. And, and I'm like sitting there going, this is weird. I mean, what, what's going on? And, you know, at that time, I mean, I'm 51 now, so I was 31 years old. I'm young. I'm on a plane. Uh, my wife was actually pregnant with my son when the plane went over her head on the GW Parkway and hit the Pentagon. And uh, I'm still, I have the worst habit in the world. I tell my wife, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to California. Uh, I'll be back Friday. And it's like, okay, we'll see you when you get home. So I don't share flight information. Oh, so she, all she knew was a flight that was destined. And I, I, we were talking about this during dinner last night about the experiences around 9-11 and you could not make a phone call to save your life Bingo. in this area during that time. I mean, maybe I, it was probably just as bad out here, but no. during that, I was living in Gaithersburg. Okay. And, like, phones just didn't work. I couldn't make, so we, obviously, at that time, you know, the experience you could imagine on a plane, right? So the plane wasn't super busy. There might have been, I don't know, 50 people on the plane. But I can remember like it was yesterday. I was reading the sports page. And I had two uh, ladies behind me. And if you think about it now, fast forward, um, there, are no there are no phones on planes anymore. And so uh, what ended up basically happening is these people picked up the phones. Oh, that's right. But they don't exist anymore. Seatbacks did have phones. phones on the back of them. That Swipe your credit card yeah. and talk on the phone. And Give so, them like 100 bucks and yeah. Exactly. And now it doesn't exist anymore. And so these ladies picked up the phone, and in a very sort of high pitch, not screaming high pitch, they're going, we're being bombed. The United States is being bombed. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm my whole family, 75-plus years of service, and I'm thinking, there's no way. Who the hell would bomb the United States? I'm like, there's just no way. And so we were circling and circling and circling, and the, the pilot basically was like, either we're going to Nashville, Memphis, or I think it was Little Rock or something, I can't remember. And um, eventually we went back to Nashville. And to your point about the phones, I couldn't call my wife. I couldn't call my office. I couldn't call my mom. 
nobody and i just looked at the cab driver and said just take me to a hilton and that was my home for seven days because i couldn't leave yeah i was just gonna say because planes were grounded for so planes long were grounded. there were no rental cars into this area was really restricted Brutal. yep and i re i remember too we were talking lot yesterday it was actually mm -hmm. last night that phone system caused a ton of anxiety because it was like i moved to maryland in the beginning of 2001 and it was just like a series of things that happened. So my parents just thought I would like, they had no concept of where I lived, relation to things. So they just constantly thought that something, I was involved in something bad. So they had no idea how close I was to the Pentagon. So they couldn't get a hold of me. Right. My dad worked for the um, county government in Pittsburgh. And there were all kinds of reports of bombings in Pittsburgh. Oh. And all these like false reports ports of things happening in pittsburgh i couldn't get in touch with my family back there back there like it was it was a day that obviously many of us will never forget clearly but it was that lack of being able to have communication with our our family our yeah. friends our our co-workers whatever was something that you know i'll never forget because i really truly just kept on thinking to myself the whole time is that like what's going on and you know i literally grabbed my bag and just got off the plane i didn't stop i didn't look whatever i just went to the right to the cab line and just said just sort of get me out of here so i can figure out you know yeah. what's next you know and here i am with an overnight bag and i'm going well you know <laughs> never been in nashville before but you can only imagine on 9-11 nothing's open yeah and so i'm going this is crazy and so i'm in a hotel the only thing open was the palm steakhouse in the bottom of the hotel and i'm going I, I like steak but i can't do this for the next you know seven days and you would just try to find places that were open and then you know basically by about the end of the night it was it was well after midnight i was able to get through to to my to my wife that was able to send a message and you know when your your wife's sitting there with your firstborn on the GW Parkway and the plane goes overhead and it's just going, well, that's sort of odd. Why, why is that thing yeah. you know, low? And ironically today, as we sit here and talk, my, my son is raising his hand for his oath for the U S army. He's doing ROTC and going to school at oh, Washington awesome. university. So, you know, it's, it's sort of surreal in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you know, that that's allowed us, I guess, in a lot of ways as a, as a family, um, you know, to do a lot, to help, um, and, and frankly, to learn uh, a lot about what a lot of these folks have had to deal with ever since 9-11. Well, we'll have, I'll say one more thing about 9-11 because we'll, we'll definitely be circling sure. back to that. Sure, of course. Um, but another thing, like my, my wife uh, is a teacher, works in high school, mm -hmm. and she was just, she was bringing up like the transition of how schools handle 9-11 now because now kids in high school weren't alive Correct. even when it happened so it, it 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 she was talking about how it was it went from a shift to like holding the moment of silence and thing to now it's it's a chapter in the history book yep like in this weird transition like this huge thing was all part of our lives Agreed. but who they're teaching now like really don't know they don't completely because it, it they weren't even born yet when it happened yep Absolutely. And no it question. still feels like yesterday. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's take um, a real quick sponsor break and then cool. we'll uh, pick up and finish the journey of how you got awesome. to one family. You got it. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, 
locally sourced culinary creations, and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so we made it to... Um, we made it to Fishbowl. Fishbowl. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, between... Uh, so, Fishbowl and then, you know, it, it was one of these things that it was... It just... I guess you could say entrepreneurship still lives. Um, so I went out and had started a, another company um, called Destination Sellers and Think Travel and Wine. Uh, so my goal was, if you've ever been to a winery and you sit in that area and you're sitting there with your wife and you're having a great time and you're going, man, this is awesome. What a great experience. Well, we took that concept and uh, brought it around the world. And so we went and partnered with over 300 wineries uh, throughout the United States, Europe, Australia. It was crazy. And we would allow people to go out and have these experiences. You could almost think of us as a wine concierge in some way. Um, and then what we did is we had two ways of the business. There was the side of the business that was um, from a travel-related standpoint. And then there was the other side of the business that was from wine sales. And so our goal was to match wineries up with good people that wanted to eat and drink and have a good time. And so we did that for... Uh, Maryland's private wealth to American Express to uh, exclusive resorts here locally. And so it was a consumer that really wanted to learn and experience the world of wine. So we did that for about six years. And then that company was ended up selling a piece of that company and, you know, really enjoyed, I guess you could say, that experience. And I had been there and enjoyed that with my wife. And I guess you could say I, I have enough wine at my house to make me dangerous. Um <laughs> But, you know, it's like celebrating your 10th wedding anniversary on the top of Montalcino in Italy with your with your wife. It's pretty cool. Uh, and so we were able to do that for a lot of customers. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, sort of like the, the food and the beverage are in the DNA, and they always have been, and clearly they are now. So it was really continuing down that path of, well, let's go and do some stuff and continue to stay in this business. And so it's something that I enjoyed for a long time and then really started doing some stuff to work on distribution side and being able to consult with a few people and do some distribution for people. It was just a market that I think this industry, as far as, well, I'll just say beverage, not even beer, I'll just say beverage overall, has just grown dramatically. And at the end of the day, you know, for me personally, I look at it and going, well, you have this wonderful bottle of wine whiskey, beer, how do you, 
how do you get the consumer to enjoy and experience your product? It's really what's your message, what's your mission? Um, because, man, there's a lot of great product out there in the marketplace today. Yeah, in, in the much, in ever-expanding, crowded market of beer. Oh, um, Especially, I can't remember the statistics now. Someone was saying over the weekend, like, the while beer production was actually down mm-hmm. uh, last year, the number of breweries still expanded so that small place that lives off of people coming to them and those those over-the-counter pint sales mean more than anything right now so selling an experience is more important than ever that's exactly right and i think that is the big thing to me anymore is you know look where we're standing today there's a lot of great breweries and wineries and for that matter, not far away, a great distillery, you know, with a Catoctin Creek. I mean, there's, it's all around us. So to your exact point, it's, you know, you're having that experience of when you're coming there and, and not only to experience the beverage, but to experience the atmosphere of what is this experience all about? You know, can we sit out on the farm or can we, or are we going to go and sit in a warehouse? And there's nothing wrong with that. It just depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, that in the the number of farm breweries opening up lately has exploded and i think that's to like if you look at any farm brewery right now they're packed on weekends oh yeah Yeah, there's no question so i think like now more than ever people like that option of sitting outside in a large open area to enjoy a beer absolutely and i mean if you really think about it i mean none of us could have predicted covid um so to the point of being able to sit and have your space uh, I don't. Th- I think that COVID have, has certainly changed the world for that matter, and I think it's going to be. I think it's going to change a lot over the next few years. I don't think it's. I mean, now that we're saying this Delta variant and all this stuff, you know. Um, I mean, I've had my vaccinations, but it, it's some of those things anymore. I think there's the side of it where, even if you've had your, um, you've had your vaccinations, it's like, man, I could still possibly get this. So I mean, yeah. there's a there's a there's a little bit of a freak out mode going on right now that I think, you know, with us having this opportunity to have space where people can come and enjoy and and just hang out with their friends and family. And, um, you know, that was my whole goal. And and frankly, um, you know, we have 27 acres here. So it was, it was more of, well, if we get busy uh, and we need to build another building or we need to uh, build a warehouse for production or whatever the case might be is we have the the ability to do that yeah you've plenty of space to work with for pretty much forever fr- future proofing that's exactly right that's exactly right um so when what year was it when you decided that you were going to open a brewery sure so it would have been about uh let's see uh, well, we bought this land just a little over two years ago, so it would have been about three, three and a half, four years ago, and I think that was the other big thing, too, was looking for the right place, um, and and that's, I think, land is hard to come by in Loudoun yeah. County, you know, it's, uh, and I mean, I looked elsewhere, I looked at a lot of other places as well, but there was just something about this place that was important you know and then I just looked at it and I said this is it you know and it was it was weird because I mean we've cleaned up the property 
a lot. Uh, <laughs> and it was a working farm for, you know, 50 plus years. And so I literally, the driveway you drove in, there literally was a beat up farm gate there. And I stood at the gate and I looked and I was like, wow, this <laughs> is cool. You know, and, you know, I would have to say, I also didn't think that, you know, we were buying 27 acres of land in Loudoun County. Um, it couldn't be a bad investment for us as time goes on. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you develop it. Worst case scenario, we have 27 acres. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so we looked at it from a financial and a business perspective, and it was something that for us, I looked at it and said, well, this is a, this is a smart investment, but, man, we could do a lot here. And this was what it was a soybean farm, right? Or did it have it had multiple? Been ro- yeah, it had been rotational crop for okay. many years. But when I got it, it was soybeans. I never even seen what a soybean looked like. You know, that had been planted, and I'm looking at this, and my wife's looking at me like, "Are you sure about this?" You know, <laughs> and I'm like, "This is cool," and she's just shaking her head. You know, and but I would come out here and drive my truck sometimes out here as we were just starting to get to learn learn more. Um, yeah, the neighbors the fire. <laughs> we got a fire department across <laughs> yeah. the street, so. Yeah, but you know, so safe location. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Emergency response is uh, five Absolute, seconds away. At any, well, yeah, it's <laughs> funny. So not even fast forward, but on nine eleven, we actually have fireworks out here. Uh-huh. So it was joking that well, we do have the fire department across yeah. the street in case anything happens. You know, so so how did you uh, land on the name One Family? Boy, that is a uh, that's a great question. I'm asked that quite often. Even my wife looked at me and sort of shook her head going, I don't get it. And I'm like, think about this. I said, in business, when you start a company, um, nine times out of ten, you're more with your coworkers at one time than you are with your own family. And, and you share each other's success as well as sometimes pain. Of, of failure, of, of something that might happen internally. And I said, you become a, you become one family very quickly. And if you think about it in the world of sports, as an example, um, my son plays baseball, uh, W&L, and it's, that's your family. Uh, you are with them 100% of the time. And it was quite funny last year when the Buffalo Bills were making their run. Um, the Buffalo Bills had across back of the end zone one family. And, you know, they really were taking it from a perspective of Buffalo. And we're one big family up here in Buffalo. And and then you take the military aspect of it. Um, over the last, you know, since 9-11, my family, um, we've we've been able to volunteer and do a lot um, of, of work with the wounded, uh, Gold Star families that have lost somebody. And... You know, it doesn't matter whether you're black, white, Jewish, Catholic. The minute a round is shot over your head or something happens, I mean, you rely on the guy to the left and the right of you. Um, And, you know, you think about our law enforcement again. It's like you rely on each other and you are a family. And so when I started looking at what I stand for um, is being able to, you know, look where we are. We're standing in the middle of a field just hanging out i mean it's that's the community also i think of loudon it is like i can tell you from owning this land for two years it is like one big family around here it's awesome i mean i've had people come out and cut the grass for me just because oh wow yeah i mean i had two guys here locally 
Uh, they called them two fat guys in a lawnmower, uh, <laughs> but which was awesome. But they were like, "Hey, Dave, the 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 land around the memorial, the grass is getting too high. We'll come and cut it for you." And I'm like, "Okay, what do I owe you?" They're like, "I ah, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it." And I'm going, "This is awesome." I mean, and and so really, the name was after me thinking about a lot of what, you know, and frankly, I frankly I couldn't think of a better name right now. The way things are going on and. In our world right now, in society yeah. right now, it's we need some good stuff to happen, you know. And I think you know, coming together as one is probably a pretty good thing. And it 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 sounds like a farm brewery name too. Yeah, like it, like yeah. it just go like you, yeah. you you don't think like why would they call it that <laughs> when you hear the name? Like, right, right. But sometimes when I hear a brewery's name, I'm like, oh, what the hell is, is that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, oh yeah. Well, so that's it like, fits. <laughs> and it goes back a little bit of what I said earlier. You know, I you you see so many brands out there today. I mean, that are awesome. But you know, I sort of ask myself, you know, what's what's the story? What's the mission? What's the goal of that brand of that name? And um, they can make the best liquid in the world, but sometimes you look and you sort of take a double take and you're like, what does that mean? Or what does, you know, and I'm like, let's just make this simple and, and make it where it's something that feels good and we can we can all have a good time together. Like I said, when we were setting up, I mean, I'm a big believer. If we eat, we drink, we smile. If we can help people out along the way, then that's a good thing. What's well, I just think anytime you're making plans with a family member or a friend, it often revolves around going to get something to eat or having a drink. Like That's the, exactly those right. Those are the first two default options. Always, you want to grab a beer? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I know it is within my network. Yeah. You know, so it's just something. And I think too for you know my family, my wife and I. You know, um, you know we've been very, you know, blessed to be able to to do well. But we've also you know our goal is you know parents is also to teach our children you know my wife even shook her head and said are you sure this is right when my kids were you know eight and ten years old where i was bringing them to walter reed hospital and they were you know there with guys at triple amputees quadruple amputees um and you know ironically my you know son is taking his oath in about you know an hour and my daughter is doing her college applications right now because she wants to be a nurse. So, you know, as parents, you sort of sit there and you look and you're going, man, I hope we taught them right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be more proud of what they've been able to do and what they've been able to experience. Well, I think that instills in a lot of things in a child exposing that. But number one, empathy, yes. which I mm -hmm. think the general population lacking is a huge problem right? agree more. Just the complete lack of empathy is yep. a problem so Couldn't agree I, more. I, I think that was the right thing yeah. obviously and then obviously your kids are doing great yeah. things so Couldn't obviously agree more. Yep. it worked out for the better absolutely and that's where i think you know it's uh you know they're the the country's in a weird place right now it's, um, you know, and this is whether whatever political side that you're on, I don't really think it matters. I think the country's just in a weird, bizarre place right now. And it's something that if we can, you know, come together and do something good and, you know, it's just like you can almost see it. It's like, you know, hey, cheers. It's like that cheers atmosphere. Let's have a let's have a drink and just chill out. Have yeah. a good time. It, it, sharing a meal or a drink can, I mean, obviously some belief structures withstanding sure of course but you can still enjoy a meal and 
a drink with someone who has very different beliefs than you, and everyone has a good time. Of course. Well, you know, I made a joke recently. I missed, I guess I must have put something that, I don't know. It's like you have all your friends on Facebook, and you're going, man, I just lost a friend, you know? And you're going, did I post something wrong? You know, what did I do? And it's just going, because people do, I think it's like, hey, man, let's just chill. Let's everybody have a good time and chill. Um, let's take one more quick sponsor break, cool. and then... We'll dive into a little bit more of uh, what One Family Brewing is, the mission, what sure. it's going to be, and then what you have going on this weekend for 9-11. Awesome. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. Here's what's crazy. So when I bought this land, um, wait, hold on one second. Yeah, no worries. Go for it. You can tell that story while we're recording. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, look at the back of his truck. <laughs> Oh, that's far enough. I don't even think we'll hear that. All right, cool. So what's funny is, uh, so this is Chris Lutman. The Lutman family probably, oh my goodness, managed probably 1,000 acres throughout Loudoun County. So they were the farmers that were here on the property uh, when I bought it. Okay, so they were just leasing they were leasing the, land. the owner. Yeah, and so they actually... Um, they actually thought, well, man, this guy owns the farm now, so we might as well pack up our stuff and leave. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not Farmer Dave. I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 no. You stay right where you're at. And so they've taken care of the land ever since for probably like the last 15, 16, 17 years. And so as we're getting ready, um, they came out and cut yesterday, and they're going to bale hay today. Uh, so it's it's funny. He's like, I'm getting there, Dave. Don't worry. It'll be done. <laughs> yeah, so if you hear any what sounds like farming equipment, that is because there is farming <laughs> happening right uh, on the farm. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> on, on the farm we're at. Um, so where where we're standing right now, this is not where 
the brewery is going to be, correct? Well, eventually the brewery is going to be up on top of that, basically that higher piece of land, which basically is Lutheran Church, so back by Lutheran Church Road. So what we've done for the architectural plans is we've uh, carved out roughly about 12 acres for the project itself, and the other 15 acres will remain to be farmed. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is the timeline for, and I, 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 that, that is a very common face made whenever I ask for timelines because- Have you been talking um, to my wife? I'd, <laughs> no, I've, t- I've <laughs> talked to a lot of people opening breweries. <laughs> so, what, Yeah, it's, uh, well, here's the one thing too, you know, as we were on the topic of farm breweries, um, when I acquired the property, there was nothing here except for soybeans. I say soybeans, groundhog, snakes, and poison ivy. <laughs> that was the extent of it. And so we had a lot of work to do to clean up. Um, one of the challenges, I went out and met with a lot of owners of wineries and breweries throughout the county. Um, and the one big thing we've heard a lot of is being able to manage and handle waste. Um, septic systems are, are overused. Um drain fields um, are overused or need to be bigger and so as we were going through this process I really had to sort of take a step back a little bit and really say to myself you know what's the ultimate goal we want we want to be able to build a great place for people to come enjoy but we also want to build something safe for environmental purposes we want to build something functional for the long term of our business and so we sort of took a time out a little bit we were looking at one point there were so many holes on this property for <laughs> trying to find drain field and septic area it looked like we were bearing bodies out here <laughs> i mean they were everywhere and i was going this is gonna stink and we finally said time out we should bring public utilities to the property and after talking to a lot of brewery and winery owners, everybody's like, do it, man, do it. Well, yeah, because if not, then you're, you're limited on what you can use for cleaning tanks. You're limited on everything. how you have to handle water to, all together. Depending on how large a brew house is, if you're on a well, you, you better have a lot of storage tanks because you're not going to be able to fill a kettle up off of the well. There's and- all this just so many things to think about, right? And I was talking to breweries that had wells, and I was like, well versus regular water and they're going well you know and so there's so many pluses and minuses to it and then truly with all due respect a lot of people go to a winery they gotta go to the bathroom yeah (laughs) so what does that mean that means more septic more water use when you add food that's another level of waste that comes into play and so we sort of took a step back about a year ago and said time out how do we get public utilities to the property Um, Well, we started meeting with the town and meeting with the county to determine what it would be like and how can we get water and sewer here. And so right now, to answer your question, that's what we're working towards. Uh, So there's a lot of uh, back and forth on what we need to do with regards to the property itself. Um, We are actually zoned in the county, but the water and sewer have to come from the town. Okay. That's another added element of complexity. So, so I'm guessing everything that gets approved by one side, then you have to go to the other side exactly. and try to convince them to talk to each other. And exactly. I told I told uh, our councilman, our supervisor for this area, Caleb Kirshner, is an awesome man. And so is Mayor Nate in Lovettsville. 
but I might actually ask them to wrestle on 9-11 <laughs> so we can get this over with. Um, but they're cool guys, and everybody, I think, is on the same playing field about wanting to make sure that this gets done and it gets done right. Um, you know, some people thought I was crazy uh, when we unveiled this memorial on the property on 9-11 last year. They're going, you haven't gotten anything approved, and I'm like, that's okay. That's who I stand for and what I stand for, and this deserves to be in this town. And I said, so whether we've got the water and sewer yet, I said, it'll get there in time. And I said, but, you know, we can't forget the sacrifices that the men and the women and these families have made for our country. And so uh, I couldn't be more proud and honored to be able to put it on the property for people to come visit. So, yeah, I, I haven't been able to walk over there yet. What is what is the memorial consistent of? Sure. So it's basically, of, yeah, sure. It's um, so it's a Gold Star Memorial. If you don't know what a Gold Star family is, it's a family that has had someone uh, killed uh, in action. Uh, and the goal for that project was to honor uh, and pay tribute to the men and women that have given the ultimate sacrifice in their families for our country. So we work, worked with an awesome guy. Um, his name's Woody Williams. Uh, Woody is the oldest and last surviving Medal of Honor recipient from World War II. Woody will be 97 in October. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he's awesome. Uh, Woody was, uh, I'm not kidding you, Woody maybe on a good day is about eh, maybe 5'5". Five, five. He so he's probably tall for his time. Exactly right. <laughs> and he took on about 100 guys on Iwo Jima with a flamethrower. Wow. So he grabbed four Marines and uh, said, okay, two on the right, two on the left. And he stood in the middle with a flamethrower. Uh, and they lost two on up that on that day uh, and then two others survived but of course he'll be 97 uh he's the last one from that battle i guess you could say um so woody came up with the idea uh, of starting the woody williams foundation to build these memorials and place a memorial in every state around the country before he dies um we were the 65th in the united states on the property and since then which is amazing since September 11th last year, and that'll be, you know, this weekend will be uh, one year since the memorial's been up. They've unveiled another 21 more wow. since then. Has he met the goal of having one in every state? So there's a project uh, in the works in every state in the United States. Uh, this was the second in the state. The first one in the state was in Bedford, Virginia, almost by the Tennessee border. Um, and on top of it, Woody's convinced me to do another one. <laughs> so uh, we just uh, were able to convince the, the city of Chesapeake uh, to be able to uh, donate land to us to uh, put a memorial next to the 9-11 memorial in the Chesapeake City Park. So we've raised 15000 so far, and we've got about another, call it about another 40000 to go. Um, we'll get there soon. I'm going to guess it probably didn't take much, uh, like, for the short amount of time I've known you, but it probably didn't take you take him that much to uh, convince you to do it. But it is still no. kind of unfair uh, for a 97-year-old World War II veteran <laughs> to, try, to work to convince someone for something. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. So he put the first one in his hometown in Huntington, West Virginia, uh, and that was only seven years ago. And so to think about that there's 87 across the United States in that span of time, you know, the memorial is about 13,000 pounds of granite, 10,000 pounds of concrete under, underneath it. 
you know, and the first time Woody came here last year on September 11th, he's got honest truth. He's like, what the hell are we doing in the middle of this field? <laughs> and we just laughed. And I was just like, don't worry. There's going to be other stuff here. Don't worry. You know, and he had seen the plans, you know, as far as, but he had never been here physically. Yeah. So, of course, he comes pulling up. And um, that was a it was a crazy day that day. He was actually they they flew him in from Huntington. It was a little bit delayed, and so because we had severe winds coming over the mountain, so he was uh, he was about forty five minutes late. And so I'd asked his grandson, who's the CEO of the foundation, I'm like, hey man, you know people are getting a little restless. Do you think we can sort of get the ceremony going? And he looked at me as dead serious. There was like three hundred people hanging out waiting for. Woody and uh, he looked at me as dead serious and he says Dave if we start this without my pawpaw here he will kill you and me both <laughs> and I'm like fair enough we wait for Woody then <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but each one of the panels on the on the memorial are etched uh, the way we wanted to have them etched so each panel is chosen by the committee members um, and then on the reverse side of it is a tribute to the Gold Star families themselves. So um, every memorial is different uh, across the United States. And so we, like I said, well, the next one, hopefully here in the state, will be in Chesapeake, Virginia. Uh, so we'll get that done, and uh, that'll be another memorial here. So let's talk a little bit about what you have going on this weekend with your um, is it 9-11 yeah, we call remembrance it the, yeah, ceremony. Yeah, or? we actually call it the Freedom Celebration. Okay. You know, and, and I, if I've learned anything over the years um, from the families of the fallen, you know, sometimes when you meet somebody and their son or their dad or their daughter has been killed, uh you sometimes don't know what to say. Uh, and so the first thing that usually makes sense is you're like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. And I've had so many families, particularly moms, they said, um, you don't have to say sorry. It's okay. Just ask me about my son. And I'm like, you know what? That's pretty cool. You know, because it's human nature as parents. We like to talk about our kids. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Like, what do they do? How was their baseball game? You know, you, you like to talk about your kids, and you're very proud to do so. Um, over the years, I've heard that so many times. And so, you know, we chose the name of this event as the Freedom Celebration because it's the celebration of what the first responders, what the military, and what these families have done for our country. Uh, they deserve it. It's their party. just happens to be we have 27 acres to have a big party. Uh, we are raising money for two foundations, the Woody Williams Foundation for memorials. And then we're raising one locally here for Hero Homes of Loudoun. And uh, Hero Homes builds custom homes in the county uh, for wounded warriors and their family. Okay. That's a, that's an awesome yeah, cause. Yeah, it's awesome. So they're on their fifth home now. They're building it for Marine and his family. Um, and I have just sort of this goal. I want them to, I want to be able to raise that money for that house. And so... This weekend, you know, you never know. It's like, okay, we're going to do an event. Last year we had it where it was the majority of it was the families and, and locals that came. And we probably had, oh, I don't know, 300 people or so. Um, it was set up over here in the field and you know, a couple of tents. We actually 
did have fireworks that would like rival DC, which was so cool. <laughs> um, and got on his true story. Uh, we did the fireworks, and so when I when we've been through this process with the the town and stuff, and uh, they were like, Dave, we we did have one problem, and I'm like, okay, I mean, I know some people drank, but everybody was safe. They left by nine o'clock. It was good. They were like, someone called and said you woke the goats up. <laughs> you do, definitely, you don't want to wake the goats. You up. don't want to wake the goats up. So well, I said, uh, with all due respect, I don't know what time goats go to bed. Yeah, maybe, maybe the goats should shift their bedtime for that. Exactly. Night. <laughs> I'm like it's nine eleven. Come on. So this weekend, uh, we now just capped out. We are done. We've uh, 925 tickets were sold. Um, my goal. Uh, for the event, I would love to raise you know forty to fifty thousand dollars to be able to give it to each one of the charities. Um, so it's going to be an amazing weekend. We will have beer, wine, uh, food, multiple food trucks. Uh, we will have fireworks. We've got four bands. We got retired Marine that I call him a mix between Kenny Chesney meets Jimmy Buffett flying in from Louisiana. I've got a former American Idol guy. His name's Noah Gardner flying in with his band from Nashville. Then we've got a couple of locals, Ghost Pepper, and then Mark, Mark Colonane, which uh, here's local. He was also Marine also. So there's going to be a big concert. There's going to be a lot of activity. Um, and we will have whiskey also. So <laughs> so it, it sounds like a recipe for a good time. I, I don't think it's going to be a bad time. <laughs> you know, we uh, will have a lot of fun. We have a couple of surprises that will be happening on the property. I actually just got, it'll probably be done today, but we um, we just customized and built out a 1946 Chevy that's going to be a tap truck here. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. They're actually literally called me this morning. They're going, we're putting the TV in it. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so hopefully the the HD angels will be out there so we can stream something on the TV that day. But um, it's beautiful. They'll be doing a great job with it. And, um, yeah, so it should be a lot of fun. Do you have um, your brew house planned out, or is that contingent on whether you can definitely get uh, uh, utilities? We brought? do. It's um, it, we're looking at a twenty barrel brew house. Okay, that's that's the goal. Some people look at me like you're crazy, and I'm like, no, not so much. We've been brewing beer for a while for the last probably about. Mm, about the last year, a little over a year, um, I say we're just like a bunch of gypsies. Um, we try to brew where we can brew and where people allow us. I've got a good, very good um, friendship and relationship with the guys at Funk Brewing Company up in Yemeas, Pennsylvania. Um, and so we've been working with Funk for a while. And uh, John Norman, one of the founders there, uh, his father's retired colonel in the Marine Corps. So they instantaneously got it, uh, what there were some of the things I wanted to do. Uh, so they were like, you have a home here. They were like, you can brew here as much as you want. Um, so we've started brewing. We've done some brew, our least recent brew that we just released, which was uh, called My Hero. Uh, it was a bourbon barrel stout. Uh, we just made with Dynasty Brewing over in Ashburn. So that one was just uh, canned and literally they're kegging for the property this weekend. They're nice. kegging right now. One so, of the barrels is holding up the soundboard right now. Yeah, Smith <laughs> Yeah, Smith Bowman down in Fredericksburg. These were all six year old fresh wet barrels they gave me. Um I literally had to drive a moving truck down to go get them, but it was uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny. And then you open up the back, you're like, "Whoa, oh, yeah, what is a, going quite on?" A loft of uh of Yeah, it was smell. unbelievable. So we did twelve barrels. Um 
10 of them will be uh, canned and kegged, and then we left two sort of just sitting over in the corner to see what those are. Uh, we'll do something fun with those probably in December. Um, we're contemplating on probably uh, chocolate and cherry going into those barrels, uh, so we'll uh, we'll do something fun with those. But, yeah, and then we'll release another beer. This um, Literally, it's being picked up today in PA, and it's called Never Forget. We're working with a, a local artist here, Stilton Green. Uh, has been an artist here in Loudoun County for about 30 years, so Stilton drew this amazing picture we've all seen the iconic picture where the firemen are putting up the flag at 9 11 he basically hand drew and a label for that um or hand drew that picture if you will nearly 20 years ago and so he gave us the art to be able to use on the cans oh wow nice that's all being picked up today so yeah it's uh i can say it's never never a dull moment um what size batches are you brewing when you contract brew yeah so it's anywhere from 50 to 100 barrel batches yeah depending so we launched this one beer last year on Memorial Day called The Fallen. Uh, the Fallen, the can, and you'll see it, the can around it has the names of 50-plus men and women that gave their lives for our country through either PTSD suicide or through KIA. Uh, so we've been taking that money, and as the beer goes out into the market, we've been using that money as a means of being able to raise funds for these memorials. Okay. Um, the beauty is um, that beer has already, already gone to eight states, which... Um, very blessed and you know it's one of those things we know how distribution can be a challenge yeah uh but the distributors have gotten behind it in a pretty big way um so it's pretty much from here basically north uh some parts of new york but as far as uh massachusetts and connecticut so um so actually i don't think we got on like what your timeline is or is it just so (laughs) up in the air that you don't man can't, can't even venture to guess when man if I had to say, I would love for it to be, uh, I would love for it to be fall of 22 or spring of 23. And I'm just being realistic, you know, as far as construction's concerned. Yeah. And well, if anything, any delays that happen because of uh, uh, sewer water or anything else were a huge blessing, once again, timing-wise, or your construction costs would have been through the roof. Yeah, you know, it's all of that, and, you know, then you sort of start to think about, um, you know, the effects of COVID, um, you know, what that's had on people's businesses and stuff like that. So, you know, I guess in some ways you can say some of this is a blessing in disguise, I suppose, but, um, you know, we just keep brewing what we can and keep doing things and you know we also launched our nonprofit called one family gives um and it's to help people and family uh people in need uh and you know and i'm a big believer need is defined multiple ways you know it's your, your elderly neighbor could could need to have their grass cut you know and it's like okay well let's get someone to do that for them you know and so we last year worked on a project um this past christmas we adopted eight families of the fallen um, to buy their kids Christmas gifts for the holidays. Uh, we were able to send out, you know, about $20,000 worth of gifts, which was awesome. Um, even last year, a gentleman that's not a veteran, horrific motorcycle accident, and we actually threw our circles of great people on uh, through a local Green Beret, actually. He had stepped an IED um, in Afghanistan, lost both of his legs, so I reached out to Mark Holbert and said, hey, man, you know anybody around here might be able to help this kid and the kid horrific motorcycle accident in florida never met him in my life um he had a guardrail lost his leg about knee down unfortunately no no he had no insurance health insurance 
but we were able to raise money and get him a get him a leg. So you know, it's just trying to do as much as we can. That's what it it almost sounds like. Um, the brewery is almost less about the beer and just more as a vehicle to be able to do good for the world. Well, you know, I th- I think it in something that people love. Yeah, well, and and that's the thing. It's important to me is that we have to have good liquid. Period yeah. end of subject. That has to happen. And so I've been blessed, you know, with working with guys like at Funk or or with Dynasty Brewing, you know, it's been awesome. I mean, Fabio at Dynasty, you know, he's goes back 20 some odd years when, you know, he was making beer for Los Rhino. So it's like the guys, he's he's cut his teeth a lot over the years. And so working with guys like that that are willing to help us um, brew, because I, I would love to say that I'm a brewer, but I'm not that smart. So those guys, <laughs> I, I, I'd rather put talented, good people on the team, you yeah. know. And and I always say I have a phrase that people that get it, uh, that understand what sort of the big 30,000-foot vision is and what the goal is. But to your point, you know, yeah, the brewery, I look at it as it's a conduit that allows us to do more. I mean, when the brewery is open, we will have one tap on there 365 days a year that 100% of the proceeds on that one tap will go into the foundation so we can continue to help. So whether we sold 800 beers or 8,000 beers out of that one tap, it'll be it'll be 100, you know, 100% of it will go into our foundation. Um, I think it's just a matter of how you plan, you know, and there's just so much that needs to happen. Um, and I'm also a big believer, you know, it just takes a lot of people doing a little bit of something that can amount to a lot yeah i mean in general the the craft beer industry is definitely very community focused man that wind is picking up um very uh community focused and works to give back to their communities they're in and just back back to uh society in general but it seems like you've really turned that up to 11 well it's you know, it's just something that I feel uh, I feel strongly about. I think it's just a matter of how you how you build your financial model. How do you how do you really work with it? What's your plan, really? And you know, when we were talking earlier about about brands and missions, and you know, my mission is pretty simple. You know, eat, drink, smile, and give back. I mean, it's not you know, it's this isn't this isn't crazy, but you know, we're gonna have a lot of fun. I mean that's you know we got a uh, we have a future future label coming out um, that's being packed uh, next week and it was like you know my dog needs a mom you know and it's just to have a little fun <laughs> uh, you know because we did a big event for pups and pints with Capital One Bank down in Tyson's right as COVID was right before COVID ended and I'm watching all these guys walking around in here. And I figured it out very quickly is these were a bunch of single guys walking around with their dogs looking for girls. <laughs> and so I'm like, we're going to have a label called My Dog Needs a Mom. So uh, we'll have a little fun beer coming out of Fall Harvest Ale coming out uh, next week. And then, uh, you know, we have some other cool, fun things coming. So, you know, we're not solely, you know, focus on, you know, I guess you could say we're not solely focused on military or first responders. It's a part of where our heart is at. Yeah. But. We want to have some fun and uh, have fun and do good. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, it's that could be another beer. Yeah. So <laughs> I will give you credit. Um, how how do people keep up to date on um, what is going on with One Family Brewing? Sure. So there's multiple channels. I mean, obviously, when I've been sort of a, a marketing database sort of 
technology guy for a while. Of course, all your social channels through you know Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and then um, we have a website up now, One Family Brewing, and then um, you can find out more there as far as beers and events, and uh, there's a link to our foundation, One Family Gives, on the website as well. So. That would be the easiest is through our website. We do have a newsletter so they can, if people wish to join, they can. Um, we send out a weekly newsletter uh, just giving people updates of what's happening in our little world. And uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll continue to do some more. We might have some fun activity coming here on December with a possible little tailgate for this small little football game card, Army-Navy game. Um, so we're working out the details of that right now. So... Uh, hopefully, as you can imagine, the one side of the property where we're having the events almost 12 acres. So just envision a big TV. <laughs> um, there there was a, w- one of the cool things that came out of COVID. Um, it's always best to look for the silver linings of anything. Of course. But in Frederick, there's a pretty big um, sound lighting backline company for concerts, mm-hmm. corporate events and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they set up a huge uh, LED wall That's awesome. at the Frederick Fairgrounds. And then we we had a drive-in theater for the duration they, of the couple years. They're handling our stage Showtime's here. doing Showtime. it. Yep. Sean and awesome. the team there are amazing people. <laughs> so they are handling everything here. So they got referred to me. Um, there's a gentleman that's uh, been leading and doing a lot of the work over here named Jerry Simons. Uh, Jerry is a part of an amazing uh, nonprofit over in Brunswick called Building Veterans. And these guys basically take care of veterans that, um, you know, really have fallen on hard times and need some help. So um, Jerry was referred to me by a mutual colleague. And so he started doing some work for us here. And then he uh, just eventually just sort of came within our circles and said, you need to talk to Sean. Sean does this. (laughs) And I'm like, right on. I'll talk to whomever, you know. And Sean knew we were trying to do good work. And he's like, listen, man, I said, I'm not. I said, I'm not that guy, meaning I don't do video and all this other stuff. I was like, please just tell me what I need to do and or what I need, and we'll go from there. Yeah, he has he has um, this amazing trailer that's like a transformer. That's what, it, yeah. it pulls up, and it's much more than just hitting a button. But, like, you hit a button, and it just turns into a huge screen. And, yep. uh, I mean, a stage and everything. It's pretty cool. But yeah, so any brewery who needs to put on a concert, uh, Showtime Entertainment in Frederick is a amazing. Oh, they're resource awesome, and they've it. been an awesome. Just yeah, they've been an awesome partner uh, for what's going to happen on nine eleven here. So we couldn't, I, I couldn't do it without them. Frankly, I mean, I don't know about you. I've never put a stage together. I don't even know what's I, involved. So I have not uh, <laughs> the. That I've loosely been involved with some of that stuff, but we hired Showtime, and they did it all. Bingo. <laughs> there you have it. Um, well, so everyone, go check out One Family Brewing on social media, their website, to, um, and look for the amazing things they're doing. It's a beautiful ride from Maryland down to here. I don't know what it's like from the rest of Virginia, but the drive down to here is super easy and beautiful from Maryland. So it- it's awesome. I mean, either either it's basically like either side you're coming. You know, whether you're coming from Percival, you know, or you're coming from Frederick, Brunswick. I mean, it's it's awesome. I mean, you yeah. know, because coming down like basically from here, you know, coming from I live over in Aldi, so it's like coming down Route Nine, and then you're coming in. 
it's a cool drive. I mean, it's it's pretty. And I mean, obviously, being right here on the the main road, you you can't miss the American flag yeah. and big gold stars. <laughs> like I told you, I'm like, if you can miss this, I'm yeah. not really sure. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for your time today, Dave. That's I know you have a lot going on, so I'll let you get back to the no multiple projects that are going on around Never us right ending, now. <laughs> uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate Cheers. It. You got it. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.